0: Impact, income, and influence. Welcome back to Grow Your Impact, Income, and Influence, the number one show online helping you reach millions. Whether that is reaching millions from stage, doing a webinar that helps grow your bank account, or just impacting the world around you, that is what we are all about. And today, We are going to be talking about the income portion, but not in the way that you may be thinking. I am joined by Lee Murphy, who is a fiduciary. Now, that is not a financial planner. A fiduciary is something completely different. If I've got your curiosity up, that's good. We're going to dive into that here in just a second. But he specifically helps people plan for retirement in a way that is easy. He's not somebody who takes a huge percentage or does any of the sleazy tricks you may have heard about from other retirement planners. We'll put those in quotes. Lee, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing awesome. It's a pleasure to be on your show and I'm excited. Hope we can drop some value for your listeners and hopefully they this episode.
0: Awesome. The, I'm sure people are paying attention because everybody knows that they need to do something so that they can retire. But most people are so confused what, whether they're in crypto or whether they're in the mm-hmm. market or whether they're buying real estate. I want to know though, how did this journey start for you? Like what really got you passionate about this? Where did it, it start?
1: Well, for me, it started at a really young age. Uh, I was really blessed in that I had uh, a group that had done very well for himself. Uh, he came to the U S with absolutely nothing. He was a dishwasher, uh, worked in restaurants, didn't really have much money. At all his family was in China and he was able to bring them over to the U S later, but he was very, uh, he did well enough in his financial journey where he became a multimillionaire. And through that, uh, I respected the way he lived his life. He, he, lived in, uh, basically, a it wasn't a mobile home, but it was a home that he originally had in Cupertino. He cut it in three pieces, moved it to Morgan Hill. Uh, he was a very full uh, guy. He didn't live a lavish lifestyle, but he cared about what was important, which was giving back to the community. And uh, growing up, he gave my friend uh, the ability to go to private school. He helped out my mom and dad with you know their first home purpose, other things financially. And uh, you know, money isn't the end all be all, but it sure helps. And it's an amazing gift when you can give that back to those you care about. So he was the reason that I went down this path.
0: That's awesome. I mean, seeing that growing up, I feel like, I mean, I I feel like so many people, we grew up, we were like, we were middle class. Um, My parents were decent with money. They saved some, but I didn't see that kind of thing, especially in today's world. You see so many parents that are paycheck to paycheck. They don't have anything in the bank. They would never cut their house into thirds, right? They're looking for the way to go buy a bigger house. And like, how can we make the extra $100 a month payment? So very, very different, but very cool way to grow up.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, he he was such a role model. I mean, he was very wealthy, but you would never know um it's because you know he he lived in a way that you know he he was kind of a minimalist in a lot of ways he just he lavished things he just cared about what was important and i tr- i strive to be like that
0: that's i mean that is really really cool one of the things that i've noticed um i've interviewed more than 250 millionaires now and one of the things that i've noticed is like some of them have really nice things, but more often than not, like if you've read The Millionaire Next Door, like they're fine just hanging out. And like they have one or two things that they really like they might spend money on. But most of them drive an F-150 or, mm-hmm. you know, a Toyota Corolla, like they're not out. They're not driving the flashy Lambos. They're not driving, you know, the Rolls Royce, Grant Cardone looking at you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, they're just they're normal people, but they sleep so much better at night because they have stability and ultimate security. Yeah,
1: absolutely. That's part of the trick to for most of the people that are out there. It's about trying to quantify the life that you want to live free from all this excess of wealth and material stuff. Excess of wealth and material stuff. That's what holds people back. Um, So learning that part early on, or even if you're later on, it's going to make you so much better
0: moving forward. So talk to me a little bit, about what you learned becoming a fiduciary? Because t- first off, define the difference between a fiduciary and a financial planner for me.
1: Well, I mean, financial planners can be fiduciaries, uh, but when you know most people talk about being a financial planner, it's basically putting together a financial plan. Does it necessarily mean you always have to act in the best interest of the people you serve? No, it doesn't. So a fiduciary has a legal obligation to act in they work for their best interest every single time. And there's more oversight. um, There's a lot more rules, but overall it's best for the client. So for me on my journey, I wanted to figure out what is going to be the best for clients. And so I figured, you know, going to be a little bit more work to be a fiduciary. Um, There's going to be a bit more headaches about dealing with compliance, but it is really important. uh, Especially after 2008, what happened when they didn't work with fiduciaries. So in the financial advising, um, 85% of the industry is full of what we call registered reps. And their main priority is to service the broker-dealers that they work for. Only 15% of the industry actually in that fiduciary status. So you know, who are who, if you're looking to work with someone or become an existing, ex, right now, existing uh, relationship, make sure you try to work with a fiduciary moving forward because... They're the people that are going to have your best interest
0: at heart. Okay. So hang on a second. I want to unpack that. I know the difference, but I can hear people listening, being like, you're getting into techno speak. I don't understand when Mm -hmm. you're a rep, you are selling a financial product, usually getting paid on commission. And your first objective is to sell the product for your broker not yep. to put your customer first. What you're saying is a fiduciary, their number one thing is to put the customer first, no matter what. So how do you get paid that is different from a rep?
1: I mean, it goes by stuff, the intent of which a recommendation is, right? Not really necessarily the compensation. Compensation can vary, but- okay. It's all about what you recommend, right? So if I'm a registered rep and I'm just recommending financial products just because they larger commissions, they might solve the client situation, but not fully. There's maybe a better alternative. You got to go with the better alternative when you're a fiduciary. So that's the main difference, it's not really about the compensation. It's it's more about the recommendation and how you go about it.
0: Awesome. Okay. I love, I love the clarity there. The... So what did you learn? Like, I'm interested, like what you learned becoming a fiduciary. Like, was there any big aha or like anything that you were like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that.
1: Um, You know, I think the main thing was all the oversight. You know, you didn't realize, I didn't realize how many people would be actually looking at every single email that hit my inbox or compliance calling me, asking me about correspondence between certain people. So uh, at first it's kind of like, wow, this is like, there's, Seeing what you do, but at the same time, it is what's best for you know the people you work for, um, because you got someone looking over all the recommendations you make, uh, making sure those recommendations are justified and and in fact are the best clients. So prior to two thousand eight, you know, it, being a fiduciary was uh, not as popular, and you know people got sold a lot of products and investments that really hurt them. So. Moving forward, I think you're going to see a big shift in the financial industry to clean up, you know, the bad or the wrongs that have been written. And I think, you know, uh, if you're, you know, looking for someone to work with, or even if you want to enter the industry, I think it's a good Um, It just puts your mindset in a way that you're always thinking the client. Yes, there might be a commission product out there or uh, a strategy. I'm going to pay their, the bank a lot or the, or the rep a lot, but that's not what you're supposed to do. It's client first always.
0: Awesome. All right. So I want to get into, we talked before the show, like you have some specific strategies that are for business owners. What's mm-hmm. like, first off, what's the biggest mistake that you see people make when it comes to retirement planning? Cause you've seen a lot of people and you've helped a lot of people. What's the biggest mistake that people can fix easily?
1: Man, that's a, that's a big question. Uh there's a ton. There's a ton of mistakes. And that's part of why I like what I do is because it's so hard to navigate uh, what you hear constantly on the media. But I would say, you know, to give you a simple answer, um, it's probably, you know, being too aggressive or greedy or being too paranoid or too safe. That's probably the biggest thing you see. But there's so many other things. You can fall into all the clickbait online of invest in this, you know, buy this as it's going to, you know, give you 10 X returns. There's all that. But I think on the 10,000 foot level, like what I see most common from people is probably being too greedy or being too safe. And then to follow that, probably just not taking action. I think a lot of us get paralyzed by information that's out there. So I think that would be another one as well, but there's okay. a lot, there's a lot
0: all right. So I'm going to unpack those just a little bit more. So what I, if you could see this on YouTube, being too greedy is over here and being too like scared to take action is over here. So what does being too greedy look like? Like just jumping at anything, trying to only do the, uh, the 10 X to hundred X, like what's yeah. the, so being too greedy, <laughs> being too greedy
1: involves you if you're online and you see a pop-up of this person that made a lot of money and it peaks your You might be getting too greedy. Uh, If you start, look, if you start Googling how to pick, you might be getting too greedy. So those are all things that you see from the people that are constantly trying to pick the next stock. Um, Although, you know, stock picking and trading is held in, you know, this really uh, high regard society, but no one looks at the data behind the outcomes of stock picking and they're terrible. They yield terrible results. And same thing with the crypto space. So I think, you know, that's one of the things that shows people being too greedy, trying to have good time and trade all that stuff. Um, and then on the other side of it being too safe is people like, oh no, I can't I can't invest because I, don't, I can't see my money go down. And unfortunately, you know, to get return, to get reward, you have to take a little bit of risk, right? But you have to make sure it's reasonable. So it's kind of like the Venn diagram, right? I feel like the best investors... They're not one side or the other. They're just kind of got that sweet spot in between.
0: That's, I mean, that's awesome. I can relate. I mean, there's a person that's in my family that refused to put any money in stocks ever because Mm -hmm. it's going down. And like, I sat down and I showed her like, your money is losing value due to inflation. Mm -hmm. And she said, nope, I just like, you can't, you can't convince, she legitimately said at the kitchen table, you can't convince me of that. The money is in the bank account. Yeah. Like like I, that's a tough one. So, okay. We covered too greedy. We covered too safe. We kind of got that sweet spot in the middle. What I want to ask is like, what's the, so not taking action. I think a lot of people do this because they say, if I put a hundred dollars a week away at the end of the year, I'm going to have $5,000. I could use that money right now. What is there a trick that you have to get people to start investing or to start saving like savings rates in America are well right now due to COVID it's actually kind of funny they're the highest they've been in 20 years is what I've been told you Mm -hmm. might have an argument to that but is there something easy to get people to start taking action.
1: I mean, it's as simple as setting up you know, an automatic savings plan through your bank. I mean, I, it's as simple as it sounds. It's one of the most beneficial tools, but also knowing what that number is. You should be saving. So I'm a big proponent of the 50-30-20 savings print, which is uh, 50% of the money you bring in, that should go to your essentials. Uh, 30% should go to your fund money or your discretionary. And 20% should go to saving and investing. I think that's a so looking at your budget and seeing exactly what that number should be is the starting point. So I think one mistake is people just pick, they say, oh, I'm just going to pick hundred. That's better than nothing, but you might grow at a pace and you're not really being disciplined in your financial growth. So I think the percentage, if you are trying to build wealth, if you're in retirement, I recommend for the people I work with to try to save 5% of their money. But figure what that number is for you and make sure it's working out. Like just don't care about number. pick the number that fits your financial picture and then make it. Don't think about it. You need to do it every single month. Set it up. So you don't think about it. that's where people get the best results. There's so many people that are like, Oh, I'm going to start it next month. You you see them 10 years later and they haven't done anything. They have nothing to their name. It's always, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So that goes back to the whole thing of just not taking action. Take you have to take action, um, and then after that, you know, you touched on a little bit gratification piece. Delaying gratification is another big uh, way that people accumulate wealth. If you can master those two things mentally, good place.
0: Well, the I mean, you've heard of the marshmallow study, right? I'm sure you've heard of the marshmallow study.
1: Wait, refresh yes. me on it. Okay, City? so the
0: marshmallow study was the study that was done. It was done by Harvard Business School, and then it was replicated, um, or it might have been the other way around. Psychologists might have done it first, and then it was replicated. But it was started in the fifties, and they tested these kids in a classroom. I think they were third grade, is what sticks in my head. And they mm-hmm. said they put a really nice marshmallow in front of the kids, and they said, "If you can hold out for three minutes, oh yes, I have. You'll that. get a second marshmallow." And then what was interesting was, so about 80% ate the marshmallow, 20% held out. What they did then was they looked at these people as they aged, and they found the people that had had the discipline to delay gratification for the marshmallow ended up wealthier, happier, and married longer. And then Harvard replicated the study in the 90s. So the and this has been traced back. There have been a couple of books. I've read two books on, on that study and delayed gratification. If there is one trait that you can teach your children to get them the most happiness in life, it is delayed gratification. Not just when it comes to money, when it comes to anything, because what is delayed gratification? I'm going to work harder knowing that the that I'm not going to get something right now. But instead, unfortunately, what we've seen a lot in American society is the now, now, now generation of, and it, parents are overwhelmed. So they just give their kids whatever they want and they, we end up with bratty kids and you get yes. in that mindset of, I get whatever I want right now. Well, how's that going to lead you to a happy life? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And then, uh, you know, another thing I've noticed is, you know, in society, we have these storylines that, uh, it's You know, the reason you're not making is because the other person got got all this money. I mean, I've worked with hundreds of people right now at this point. Like, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people. Yes, that is out there. But man, it is a it's a it's a story that is glamour. It's it's basically bullshit. Like it's they make that as the excuse. I have worked with people that are doing very well financially that they had they had it tough. They didn't have you know, silver spoon in their mouth, they just write financial moves. And, uh, it's really cool to see. So you you can, you can get financial freedom and it comes down to what exactly we're talking about, you know, be able to delay instant gratification and do the right things with your money.
0: Well, I mean, so, I mean, I want to talk to that piece specifically because you're talking about saving I think an automatic savings plan is great is something that I set up it goes into a bank account that is at a separate bank that I do not check that I do not have a visa card for I do not have a check for like there's no way I can get to that money unless I do a wire Mm -hmm. and it's kept like that on purpose and then from that that automatically goes into investments the if you're listening to this though and you're like but I am maxed out I spend every penny that I make This is the thing with delayed gratification. We, we always like, we're like, what's the nicest car I can drive? What's the nicest apartment I can afford? What's the biggest, the, I love going out to eat, but Mm, I will tell you, like I have, there are people I know here in Austin that are living paycheck to paycheck that are stressed out of their mind about money. We went out to dinner last week. I let them pick the place. We went to a $400 steakhouse. Like I, I like sat down and I was like, did you guys have like a really good week? Did you like the one in complete transparency, the wife lost her job a month ago. The oh, husband had, I mean, he's doing okay. Like he has a he has money, but they live paycheck to paycheck. I'm like, mm-hmm. why are we here? Like, but that's the, so if you're like listening to this and you're like, but I'm maxed out. You have to learn to spend a little bit less and live a little bit below your means. I know that sounds so hard. People are like, but here's the thing. It doesn't get easier. I will tell you, like I I make a, I make, I'm in the top probably 5% of US somewhere mm-hmm. in there. I get challenged all the time. I had to go buy a new car. I could have written a check and bought a hundred K car, which is what I want. Right. Yeah. One on a Porsche 993 GT I know what I want. I have one right here on my desk. But until my investment investment pays for that, I won't Mm. allow myself to buy it because taking money out of what could be an investment to do that is the wrong answer. Instead, I went and bought a brand new car that was $22,000. It's great transportation. I love driving it. And it leaves that little itch because every time I get in, I'm like, man, I wish I had the Porsche. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll get the Porsche when my investments pay out the money and this is the difference between wealthy and middle-class middle-class spends every dime they make wealthy invests every spare penny they can and that i'm like i know there are people out there i can feel like people being like but but i deserve this is the number one story that i hear people that have struggles but i deserve it i work yes i hear that
1: all the time
0: Yep. Well, say you deserve something a little bit less. I deserve to have my, one of my, one of my sisters, I deserve to have Starbucks every day on the way to work. It makes me smile. You tell yourself that story. Like if I could, you can change the stories in your head to anything you want. I, yep. you know what? Making coffee at home every day makes me smile because I know I'm putting five bucks a day towards my kid's college. Exactly. You can exactly. tell yourself either story, which one does you more good? That's my question. I'll get off my soapbox.
1: No, you you nailed it, man. I don't need to say any more on that. You, that's exactly it.
0: Hey, thanks for taking a moment to check out this episode of Grow Your Impact, Income, and Influence, the number one show helping you reach millions. Have you ever thought about building your own webinar or using public speaking to reach your ideal audience? Well, if you'd like my help with it, over the last several years, I have built more than 40 live events for clients just like you. In the last 18 months, I've helped 32 entrepreneurs build their webinar with over $5 million in cumulative sales. If you'd like to see how I can work with you, or if you'd be interested in having me speak at your event or be on your podcast, go to stephen.coffee, that's steven.coffee. That's S T E V E C-O-F-F-E-E to book a short call with me and see how we can work together. All right. Let's jump back to the episode. Um, it's, it is really interesting too. I ha- so right now I live in Austin. I have a few friends who are from Mexico that are up here. And I will tell you, I am blown away. The one girl works as a personal trainer. She's, she's doing all right. She makes like 40, 50K, mm-hmm. drives a brand new Beamer that she paid for in cash because she has the money because she has saved and invested. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I was blown away when she told me that. And like, she's good with her money. Like they are, they, they, because they came from Mexico somewhere in Mexico, like they have a different outlook similar to, I mean, a little bit your story, like first generation, second generation immigrants, my hat is off to them because they look at things differently and they appreciate it. Whereas Mm -hmm. unfortunately, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, not everyone, but there's some entitlement that's not doing anyone any good. Absolutely. Anyway, let's, let's go back to what do you think are the best investments to make? Let's say they're like, you know what? I can put a hundred bucks away a week, or I can do 20%. What do you think some of the best investments are?
1: So this is just for everybody? Or are we talking specifically for like
0: business owners? Because that's who's listening. And okay. what makes okay. them different than a regular investment?
1: Got it. Okay, so that's what we were talking about today. So I have three main things that you need to invest in if you are a business owner. And you know this is something that I've seen. You know, from my ten plus being in wealth management uh, management, and uh, something that I've talked with my mentor about. We always get together and we say, like, what is it that, you know, these people that are so successful, what are doing right? So the first one is basically investing in business. All too often what we see people that are, you know, small business owners, every mm-hmm. all the profits that come in, they're going to spend it. It might save a little bit, but are they investing back in their business? So important. And part of, you know, becoming a successful business, you know, going from being a small business owner to being a very successful business is you have to think like a big business. So part of these tips that I'm giving today, it's based on big successful companies and trying to emulate exactly what they're doing, right? We don't, the blueprint's already there. You look at these companies that have made it and you you say, well, that's how they've done it. As a small business owner, the rules aren't that different. We can do the same thing. So the thing is basically your CapEx or investing back into your business. That's after your operations, right? after money that gets paid out to shareholders, that's money that goes to like, let's build the future profits from the money that we're getting. So let's go invest in Steve, he's the man, he's going to make us more profitable, right? That's basically, you know, an example of capital expenditure. Um, mm-hmm. If you look at the best companies in the world, I mean, Amazon, I think right now is probably the leader in CapEx. But you look at the other companies, list, you got Microsoft, you got uh, Verizon, uh, you got Google, AT&T. Those are examples of companies that a large percentage of the revenues they get back into the business to keep growing. And just as like I mentioned, just think about all the commercials you see. They're not being short-sighted. They're in it for the long game. And just as a small business owner, we have to be that way too.
0: That's a, I mean, that is a great takeaway. A lot of people have heard, you know, like Amazon never paid any taxes or Amazon wasn't profitable for their first 25 years. All of, I still don't think they're profitable. They might've turned a profit last year or something. I think I heard, but the reason is because they are investing all of their money back in to the business. Mm-hmm. They're spending all that they make. And that's why they've. I mean, they were also in the right place at the right time. They had a lot of things going, but they also invested back in themselves. Elon Musk and all the stuff that Elon Musk has done, he puts tons of money back into himself. Yes. Like that's that's a really good point. Okay. Tip one, tip two. And going back to just on tip one, oh. if you don't know
1: where yeah. you're starting there, if you have to think of a number, I always tell you know, clients, everyone's different, but you know, start with like 10% of money that comes in if you're a small business owner. Don't spend it. Put it back into your business. Use it with a growth mindset. So start with ten percent. You can be a little bit more, a little bit less. Have a good rough estimate to start with. So that's tip one. Tip two. uh, Now this is an example of a company. I'm talking. We're talking about companies that we want. Let's start with. What was that? McDonald's. Why are they so successful? So Steve, I'm going to ask you. What's your guess on? you know, where do they make most of their money on all they do?
0: They own the real estate.
1: You got it, man. You got it. So yes, McDonald's, we might think about, uh, of them as a food company are a real estate company. Their CFO admits that, you know, we're in the real estate, business. right? Real estate is fantastic. It, it let, lets you leverage your money, uh, grow your money. Um, and the reason they have the hamburgers it's just a great source of revenue for the tenants to pay, to pay the real estate bills. So That's, yeah,
0: that, I mean, the, I knew this answer because I've studied McDonald's, but like, if you're listening to this and you're like, hang on, I don't get it. So here's the thing. All McDonald's is to illustrate Lee's point, McDonald's sells hamburgers the same way Apartment buildings fill their apartment buildings with tenants. All the hamburgers mm-hmm. do is pay for the real estate so that it's break even or cash flow positive. If it's cash flow positive, that's awesome. And you're like, how does that work? The franchisee, the person who bought the McDonald's franchise, owns the McDonald's building and all the employees and the cash flow, but McDonald's owns the property and leases it to the franchisee through doing mm. that McDonald's is growing the equity imagine buying a piece of property in downtown chicago in 1958 1959 mm. for $3000 and that piece of property is now worth i don't know 20 million probably easily mm-hmm. yeah and McDonald's corporation owns the property the building is owned by the franchisee, franchisee who has to pay the upkeep, has to pay the employees, has to do the work, and they're selling hamburgers. And if they make money on hamburgers, great. It's a pot. It's a great business, and they do McDonald's to their credit build a system that cash flows. But mm-hmm. if it didn't, it wouldn't matter because McDonald's still owns the asset of the real estate.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, to to get a little granular about this a lot of people might say well i own my house now in the financial world what i've seen is there is a you know a lot of financial advisors out there that don't understand real estate i tried to you know make myself different in that you know to really understand like where people grow their wealth and it's amazing when you see all that's out there especially in the silicon valley that's where i'm at all the people that are millionaires a large majority of it comes to the fact that they did Estate. Now, not just owning a home, that's that's a good start. So a lot of financial people might say, well, you're better off investing in the stock market. Not to and, and you know what? If you're if I'm taking my primary residence versus the market, I'm going with the market. But there's a bigger picture here. Being a real estate investor and you know having other people pay your mortgage, that's a powerful concept. Using the ability to leverage the bank to get an asset that's going to give you a great rate of return it's a bigger, it's, that's where people miss the picture. And so McDonald's is a prime example of all that. And so I believe, you know, as someone that's trying to give people the best advice, you have to get is become a real estate investor in your path. And, you know, with all these, with business owners, diversification is so important. You know, I talked about, you know, uh, investing back into your business and how important it is. But you also have to think about like, the chance of failure for your company. We have realistic. I believe it's after five years, about 45% of businesses fail. Mm-hmm. That's those, that's that's the reality of of the game that we're in. After 15 years, only 25% will be around. By diversifying these other things, that's that's your safety blanket right there. It's going to make you more, more money and it's going to diversify all that risk of being in business. And realistic the way to do it.
0: Awesome. I, I think that is 100% true. And I think people like I, business owners are probably like, but I'm busy doing business. How do I manage that? Like, there, what's really interesting to me right now is there are a lot of vehicles out there that allow you to invest in real estate that are hands off, where you're still going to see a 10 to 15% return. Mm-hmm. You also get depreciation, which is cash flow in reverse, which is great. We won't get into all of that on the show, but there, trust me. Lee is 100% correct. Real estate, good place to go. All right. Tip number three. Give you a drum roll.
1: So tip number three. And let's see, since you did so good on the last question, I'm going to throw you another one, Steve. Okay? Okay. So I'm thinking of another very successful company. And part of their business model is they invest in other successful companies. Can you think of this company? And I'll also give you, they have the highest stock price that's out there
0: the highest uh, berkshire hathaway
1: you got it oh my gosh steve i did your show you're a smart man um yes exactly i think last time we checked it was around before and odd dollars for their share but berkshire hathaway warren buffett them? if you if you ask anyone who is the man the person that is the best ever 90 percent of people are going to say warren buffett and with good reasons he has this ability to spot value so The third thing is value investing, right? And that's picking out great companies, picking the stocks of great companies. And we rely on four components in this value and what I call value. So it's size. You look at the price of the company. You look at the profitability. And lastly, you make sure that you're buying high quality. Uh, Now going over these all in a little bit detail, the price uh, is based off, you know, finding something that is discounted and has this large ability to appreciate in price. Um, So size is another component. You you can invest in large companies, but also small companies uh, generally will get a bit more return. But you want to make sure the profitability is there of each of these investments. And all that, you're going to have high quality. So I think one that I see is people being very speculative in nature and finding things that have no and putting their money into it. So like with crypto assets, uh, small penny stocks, or this, the, the article about the XYZ company and make it to the moon, they don't have these aspects that we're talking about. So the profit does investing, value investing. I think that's a very big key to growing your financial picture. And so as a business owner, you know, invest in your, your business. That, that's number one get Real estate, and then also invest in other great companies. So, uh, through you know financial advisors, setting up your own account. But that's other, uh, and my final uh, big wealth secret for uh, small business owners.
0: Nice. All right. So I've got a question, and this I, I'm challenging you, but I'm open to have the discussion. Mm-hmm. One of my mentors, who I respect a lot, said don't ever try to pick a stock. There's no reason to go with a index style fund. He was like, if you do pick a stock, he was like, I'm not, I understand you want to pick a few. He was like, at least 50% of your investment in the market should be index fund. And then he was like, the other ones, he was like, this is how he told me to divide my portfolio, which actually follows yours, which was 50, 30, 20. He was like, you're young, Young, relatively speaking, fifty percent should be index funds because it's always it's gonna it's gonna model the market perform slightly better. to pick a few solid companies, and that's your thirty percent. So I went with Tesla, Apple, Amazon. Those are the three that I picked. And then nice. he was like, ten to twenty percent. He was like, that's your fun money. If you lose it, it's gonna hurt. But he was like, I would, I w- actually. Went with ten percent, and I put it in crypto because I was like, "Crypto's, crypto's going for the moon, right?" I bought a Bitcoin when it was eight hundred dollars. I sold it when it was twenty eight hundred dollars, and thought that I was, I was like, "Man, I did awesome!" Yeah, Um, (laughs) right. I was like, (laughs) "Any higher than that?"
1: I I get the feeling. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So the I'm not a big crypto guy by any means, Um, but the. So what, what do you feel about index funds versus, because what you just laid out, this was his argument for it. He said, where are you best? What's your best skill? And I said, public speaking. He said, what's your second skill? And I said, strategy. So what's your third skill? I said, sales. And he said, none of those are stock picking. How long Mm -hmm. do you think you would have to spend to pick a good stock? And I said, oh, a lot. And he was like, do you understand the market? And I, I feel like I read, I read some stuff about it, but he was like, do what you're good at. He's like, if you put the 10% of time that you would have to put into picking a stock into your business, which one is going to yield better returns? He was like, just do that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's a hard, that's, that was his argument and I accepted it.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I would say that you're our mentor and going the whole, like, you know, stock picking is not your thing. I'll tell you what, people that are in the financial industry stock picking ain't their thing either (laughs) because the stat their stats don't lie man like they i mean you get these people that are from harvard yale uh, MIT, smartest minds in the country and they might do good one as uh, the averages come and more years compile on other their returns you know get decimated when compared to the market so I am kind of right there with you in terms of like stock picking. I'm not a big proponent of it. I, I look at it more as like kind of a uh, kind of like an outlet and gamble sort of thing, you know, to maybe, uh, you know, uh, a little fun with your investing. So I tell people that the max they should do is percent in a single company. How much? Um, 10%. I don't go above okay. that. You know, so if you if you look at all your assets, and you're like, well, wow, I got a ton of well one stock, you need to stop putting money there. you gotta, you got to start diversifying out because I think 10% is too much. So I'm actually more conservative than your mentor. Um, but I would say you know, picking good sectors is what I believe in. I think that's how you do it. I if I make my money on a single stock pick, it was like the equivalent of if I went to the Mandalay Bay a good weekend. That's just how I look at it. Um, people online, you know, these stock gurus will tell you otherwise. But look at the data they're not doing that well even a, well, that, the, the king i was talking about you know jim kramer who's the king of stock you look deep into his his history the man that's supposedly the best seller, it sucks that's the truth <laughs> that's the truth so the, you that know, is a good financial advisor is knowing you know uh or financial professionals knowing what you can't do and like i can't pick stock better than anyone else you know i mean maybe i have a little bit of I, I'll stay away from the crap. But but on that, I mean, not getting anything else better. So exactly what you said, believe in the sectors, uh, believe in you know the low cost of the funds, and you're gonna, and that's gonna be a good path.
0: Awesome. So in I all these that...
1: things we're talking about, like with, with that the that thing, you can get those in you know, indexes and funds and that sort of stuff.
0: That's awesome. I mean, the I mean. You shared a wealth of information. You were pretty honest and straightforward, which I greatly appreciate. I have a pretty good nose for BS and uh, I appreciate your honesty. If people wanted to reach out to you, how do they work with you? Like how does somebody, do they sit down? Do you have a few discussions? How's that process look? I mean, it goes back
1: to just figuring out what people really want uh, their financial goals. That's that's how every discussion is. If people want to talk about it, doesn't cost anything. I'm always, I always love hearing about what people are trying to do financially. Uh, so if you want, you can reach out to me, um, and you can look at the That is our podcast. So, uh, for people that are trying to, you know, advancing in their career, uh, building wealth, uh, you know, learning from successful, like very successful people. I mean, we, we've had guys like Steve on. you know, I don't know if you know that guy, but he's absolute just genius. So check that, check out our podcast. If you got a long drive. And then, uh, if you Google that, find me, Lee, Michael Murphy, and you can reach out to me. I'm happy to talk with anybody.
0: Awesome. So we are going to link his podcast, the free retiree show down in the show notes. We're also going to put, do you want your email in there? It's up to you. I'll put your email in if you want.
1: Sure. You can, you can put, uh, you know, just put an admin at the you know, that my, awesome. my assistants will let me know that you dropped us a line.
0: Okay. There we go. Um, that will get you in touch with Lee. He'll have a conversation with you. It's free. It costs nothing. And it could be one of the smartest decisions that you make because if it gets you started on your retirement goals now, think about where you'll be 20 years from now. You know,
1: absolutely. Don't procrastinate. If that's, remember I said, you asked me what the big, big mistake was. I think just procrastinating, not taking action. That's worst. So whatever you do, it doesn't need to be me. Just take action, please. This job drives me crazy. How many people just talk and then they don't, they don't do anything, you know? So I'm all about taking action.
0: One of, uh, one of my very first college professors told me "He was like ideas. I was an art student. Let's let's talk about that as an investment. Maybe not, but he was like (laughs) ideas ideas are cheap. Actions are the only thing that matter. And you can sit here, you can listen to this. You can talk about it. You can say, I should, I might, I may, I will, but just click down the show notes, send them an email. It's not going to hurt you get on a phone call and it probably will be the best decision you can make because it will lead to you taking action and getting a retirement account set up. Lee, I want to say thanks for coming on.
1: It's amazing being on your podcast and like, thank you, man. Thank you for all the good insight that you do for listeners. Um, it's just a pleasure to be on your podcast.
0: No worries. It is my pleasure to everybody else out there until next time, take action, make money and change lives. And while you're at it, set up a retirement account. We'll Boom. see you next time. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for checking out today's show. Do you want the fast and easy Cliff Notes version of the actionable steps from today's episode? If so, go to actionbullets.com and download yours today. Also, if you're looking to start using story selling in your business and have stories do 90% of the hard work for you, grab my free course at storyselling.how today. Till next time, take action, change lives, and make money. We'll see you soon.